one way to divide the Buddhist teachings is to uh, speak about the two wings. So the two wings we have to open in on this uh, journey of awakening, this journey of individuation, you know, bringing out our potential, embodying our potential. And uh, so th according to the Buddhist teachings, these two wings we unfold is um, the bodhicitta wing, so the cultivation of or discovery of compassion and love, and the wisdom wing, which is seeing yourself and others and everything else in the way it exists. So recognizing reality, deconstructing fantasy, deconstructing the projections we put on things and really recognizing uh, recognizing reality so that's the wisdom and of course these two they they go together they are actually not two separate things but initially on our path it makes sense to um, to talk about them <coughs> as if they are two different things. And initially our practice will be either more emphasizing the wisdom part or <coughs> more emphasizing the bodhicitta part. And then slowly, slowly we will bring them together, these two. And we will experience how they are talking about <coughs> the same thing. So on Wednesday I talk, I gave the introduction into the bodhicitta part and today I, I want to start to talk about the wisdom part. So I will first say a few words on where these teachings come from. Many Tibetan scholars would say that the only place you find the valid and the correct teachings on emptiness or on the nature of reality is within the Buddhist tradition. I don't agree with that. Um, So, but nevertheless, kind of the flavor uh, um, and the quotes I will use and um, the way I was trained in the wisdom teachings is coming from a particular Buddhist tradition. So I want to say a few words about that. But for us in our own investigation into emptiness, I think it's really helpful to look into science, to look into quantum physics, to look into neuroscience, <coughs> to look into Advaita Vedanta teachings, um, 
and um, enjoy the the different flavors and the different words and the different pointers within all these traditions. There's only one reality and recognizing that should be the same for a Christian mystic or a Tibetan yogi or a quantum physics who phys- physicist who looks into the nature of reality. They should they should find the same thing. Of course then they put different words on it and put it in different contexts and interpret this experience different differently. So these teachings now which we will look at they they come from the Buddha, and of course one could go further than that. Um, but let's start with the Buddha, and there is a way to divide the teachings of the Buddha in, into what is called the three turnings of the wheel. And in the second turning of the wheel, in a place called Vulture's Peak, uh, the Buddha uh, revealed these teachings on emptiness, on the nature of reality. And then they were kind of hidden for a few centuries. And the myth says that they were hidden and protected by the Nagas, which are like dragon-like beings. So it's like in the Lord of the Ring, no, in the Hobbit, you know, this, this big dragon which is which is guarding the treasure and uh, here the treasure was the uh, teachings on emptiness which were written down in the Prajnaparamita Sutras Prajnaparamita means perfection of wisdom and then it was Nagarjuna who <coughs> somewhere between the 2nd and 6th century uh, re- uh, discovered this he actually went underground in Nepal, there is a place which you can, a pilgrimage place where you can go, where there's still the gate where he went down, and it's guarded by a by a family uh, uh, since centuries. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, Nagarjuna brought this, uh, revealed these teachings, and and then there were students and masters in the in the indian tradition who wrote commentaries on 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 the on the comment they wrote commentaries on the commentary by nagarjuna on the prajnaparamita sutras and then and then at one point these teachings came to tibet and then the tibetans wrote commentaries on the commentaries <laughs> on the commentaries <laughs> on the commentaries of nagarjuna <laughs> and uh, so they and i mean that's what uh, in the Tibetan tradition, that's what the intellectual energy of this whole this whole tribe, this whole uh, this whole country went into investigating this. No. Um, so, and I have uh, I have received these teachings uh, by, from many different teachers. Particular because I was a monk in the in the Guluk tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, so that's one of the four major traditions within the Tibetan tradition. It's the tradition of the Dalai Lama, and they are like the scholars. It's a bit like in the Catholic Church, you have the 
Jesuit. Jesuits. So, mm, so I was trained into that and in that tradition it is said the first step in approaching the teachings on emptiness is to get a correct intellectual understanding. And then of course you need to meditate and you need to experience and you need to you need to yeah you need to look yourself. But the first step according to that tradition is to have a correct intellectual understanding. And uh, so into that I, I want to give you a bit of an introduction today. And then <coughs> after the break I will guide a, a, a meditation from that tradition. So the Tibetans, they, they actually, when they approach the teachings on emptiness, what they do is they study the text of the Indian masters. That's what, that's what they do. And uh, I'm not going. I'm not a scholar, so I'm not going to mm, a lot of details and uh, into into who said what. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you there's many good books about that. So I, what I, what I want to try today is kind of uh, try to share where I am in my in my. Uh, wrestle in my wrestle with these teachings yeah what, what came out for that uh, that by, by me so and of course it is um, it is it will be uh, tainted by my own views and by my own background um, so that's how it is <coughs> Anyway, in your own journey, this is, will be just one puzzle, so it's not that important what I say. I, ca I can make mistakes because, uh, you know, it's not like you listen and then you think, ah, this is how it is, and it's not like that. So you will receive different teach teachings and you will make your own exploration. So one one thing I would like to say in the beginning, this is not like an intellectual endeavor. If if it would remain like that, and unfortunately in the Guluk tradition it often remains on that level. They study and study and study and they get lost in details and and they become scholars, but it does not uh, it does not um it does not affect them in, in a in a profound transformational transformational way. So what this you know when we when we explore these teachings and when we meditate on emptiness and we particularly on the selflessness, um, it should make you more kind. And it, if it doesn't, you then you know okay then it's a nice intellectual yeah i i study buddhism and i know this and that and i can debate it uh, but if it does not make you a more flexible a more a more present a more kind person then then you know then it's just that some some knowledge you have some knowledge about buddhist philosophy so these teachings, they are supposed to make us more tolerant, less, less self-righteous, 
being able to embrace and hold and love different positions and all kinds of people, no matter what their background, no matter what their political beliefs. I mean, of course, we can still have opinions, uh, but we are not going to go for war for them because we realize that this is opinions and I can be kind and understanding to a person who has a different political view or a different religious view or who, who, who plays football instead of tennis or is, who is five years old or 80 years old or doesn't speak your language or And so that's one thing. And the other is these teachings, when you apply them, when you think about them and when you meditate them, they should bring you some relief. <coughs> you know, the, the, it should be like, uh, you know, in the, in the struggle you have in your life just now, for example, anxiety. I mean, we all suffer from anxiety. So reflecting on emptiness and meditating on emptiness should bring you some relief. Because you start to see, wow, this is oh, this is made up. The whole thing is made up. Oh God! Not only my problem is made up, also the person who has that problem is made up. <laughs> so and and now I said it, and it's like, I mean, it's it's fortunately we are. You know, <coughs> in a place where the, what I just said somehow makes sense, even if you haven't heard teachings on emptiness before, because you have heard this kind of uh, insight before. Yeah? Uh, so but what is important is that it actually brings you some relief, even if it's only short time. It's like you, you, you are completely caught up into the seriousness of a situation and like blaming someone and you know, and feeling self-righteous or as a victim and it's, it seems to all be so real and, and important. And, and, and then, you, then you use and then you reflect on these teachings and suddenly you feel, oh, come on, take a break. It's not that serious. Maybe I'm not right. And then, of course, it, it, you get we get uh, we get entangled again. We get fused again with the stories, and we we take our opinions as what it is, our perspective, and we forget that it is our perspective. But then these teachings and then this meditation should come should bring us back into this, into the into the scene. Wow, this is my perspective. This person is actually not like that. It's made up. It's a projection. I can see it differently. Yes, I have this I have this chronic disease. I have this uh, I have this anxiety which is uh, torturing me since 
decades maybe. But I can see it differently. I can change my perspective on it because it has no meaning and it has no heaviness from its own side. It's something I put on. So, and then there's, the, no, and it's like, that does not mean it completely dissolves and suddenly you don't have any problems anymore. But we go for a bit of lightness, a bit of, a bit more, a kind of a bit more spacious way of living. Of course you do, you dislike to have pain. Yeah, but within that you can be bitter and you contract and, and, being very tortured, or there can be a bit more space, there can be a bit more kindness, there can be a bit more lightness. And that's what the teachings on emptiness can bring you. What is very good in the teachings, uh, or what is um, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, he said that uh, he believes that for many of us, a good entrance into the Buddhist teachings is actually the teachings on emptiness. Because these are teachings which you can understand and you can check yourself. It has nothing to do with belief. Ah, the Dalai Lama says everything is empty and now I believe it. No, you look yourself. And that is, of course, very, um, uh, very helpful for our rational mind. In the Tibetan tradition, there is a kind of, sometimes you meet that, it's a kind of view that it is incredibly difficult and that you need to study for 20 years and learn Tibetan. And uh, I'm not sure why that is, because I, I find them pretty straightforward, these teachings. I, I don't think they take a PhD to understand. Uh, I mean, I, of course, I have not, uh, uh, I have not, I have not the capacity to follow all these logical debates within the, in the philosophical schools, but I wonder if I, I if I need to. At least uh, the, the 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 profound lightness and the profound relief uh, you can find. In these teachings, I think it takes like about, yeah, I don't know, a few months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think. I think. Of course, that's. Many, of course, now many, many scholars. Probably, I, I'm excluded now from Buddhist heaven. <laughs> so, but maybe it's helpful for, for initially from the beginning to feel, yeah, actually, this is something I can understand. It's not. Uh, it's uh, in. Yeah, and I think we we can understand these teachings. So I will this time. Usually I speak speak quite uh, free, but uh, this time I want to 
use some some pointers and some quotes from the tradition. So let's start. So one first thing I want to say is phenomena do exist. So this moment exists. I exist and you exist and your feeling exists. Yeah, so let's uh, let's start in, on, on the on a safe kind of a safe uh, a safe place. Mm. Traditionally, you no, know, there's this warning uh, not to. Or share these teachings on emptiness with people who might fall into the abyss of nihilism. Who, who like who come to the conclusion after listen to these teachings, ah, oh, nothing exists, so nothing matters. Life is meaningless, so I can do whatever I want. Uh, I, I've, I don't know. I have never met someone who who responded to these teachings like that, because it's so obvious that this moment exists. I mean, how can you sit here and say, this does not exist? Yeah, then I punch your nose, and then I say, yeah, see. It does not exist, but it hurts like hell, so what do you say now? <laughs> so, I mean, to say nothing exists and nothing matters is the most stupid, ridiculous st thing to say. Tell that a mother, tell that a father. Nothing exists, nothing matters. I mean, they know. They know that it matters. They know that the children exist and that it matters. So I, 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 I don't... I don't feel these teachings should be uh, should be kind of kept secret out of fear that people fall into the abyss of nihilism. So phenomena do exist, but they don't exist in the manner they which in which they appear. So they exist, but they don't exist in the manner in which they appear. So what the Buddha says is, this moment exists, but it does not exist in the way it appears. And because we believe that it exists in the way it appears, we suffer. So if we would recognize, if we would notice, if we would recognize directly how this moment exists, suffering would cease. But because we believe that it exists in the way it appears, we suffer. <coughs> so now we can talk about, or we can check, how does this moment appear to us? Yeah, so. So this moment appears to us as if they are separate and discrete objects independent of other objects. So this is how this moment appears to us, as if they are separate objects, discrete from each other, independent from each other, existing, the, the word here being used in the teachings is existing inherently. Yeah? Inherently means they existing 
independently out of themselves. They are what they are out of themselves. Like um, independent of mind. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they, they exist out there independent independent of our mind. So this is like the New Newton's worldview. So what Newton uh, what Newton and and the physicists back then until 100 years ago what the physicists believe that there is an outside independent world uh, waiting for to be discovered by us. So we walk around in an independent world and we 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 discover what it is and we we investigate into the objects. That's how this moment exists. Uh, th that's how the mom this moment appears to us. That's how the world appears to us. So the objects, and including yourself, they appear to us as if they exist from their own side, projecting their image to our mind. Projecting their image to our mind. It, it, it's like that. Not like that. No, it's like that. I come into this room and the things and the people project their images like this. <laughs> that is how it appears. And because there's so many there, I get like... <laughs> 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 Particularly if there's only one piece, piece of cake on the table. So they, they appear to us as, as if they exist in let's, let's take it on. as if they exist in and of themselves, like the word is inherently, waiting to be experienced. No, they, they, this is waiting there for to be experienced. <laughs> and and, and it's, it is projecting stick onto your mind. And we all agree this is a stick. And it is really a stick. That's, no? So now we could, no, we could tell more stories about this stick, like that it is incredible, holy, and only the teacher can put it, uh, can hold it in his hand. And it has to be always put into this, in this way. Never put it like this. And, and, and then after 10 years of studies you are you are you are invited to touch it <laughs> and and so we could start today the holy stick sect yeah so we could put more and more stories and then slowly slowly it would appear like that for us and then if someone and i would put it here and someone who does not know and who, who takes it then you would oh, don't do that don't do that you go to hell mm -hmm. yeah then we are fundamentalist. And, 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 the, and the stick would appear to us as something incredible, <coughs> holy, incredible. Uh, in, yeah. and, and, you know, it, is, it does not exist like that. So that's how things appear to us. And uh, the discovery in in the emptiness teachings is that this is not how this thing exists. 
And because we believe that it exists in the way it appeared to us, we, uh, we get into problems. If this is a wonderful object, then we grasp on it, we want to have it, we, we defend it, we get afraid to lose it. If it's a, a, an object we don't like, then we try to get rid of it. <coughs> So, right from the first moment of sense perception, the object appears in, in a status which it doesn't have. Right in the first moment. So, the, the thing appears and right, there is a tiny, they say, there is a tiny moment of direct perception, but it's so quick that we, don't, we, don't, uh, we, don't, we are not aware of it. So it appears, and immediately there is, I, can't, I don't like this, I like it. So it has immediately, from the first moment, it has some meaning, <coughs> which appears to us as if it's in the object. So, and of course, meaning, you know, meaning is a mental function, so meaning is something you proje we project on the object, we project on people. We make this what it is for us through the conceptual mind. We make what this is for us through the conceptual mind. We project. So it's like you throw something on this and then it appears back and you've forgotten that you are the one who throws something on it. And then you have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> so we, we hold this appearance to be true. We hold this appearance to be true and then impute different qualities on it. And then we develop aversion or attachment to it. And this aversion and attachment makes us act in self-centered ways. So we become, we, 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 we could become violent. Uh, because we believe the appearances. So this, um, this first step to reflect on what is it, what it is actually what is being negated or refuted in the teachings on emptiness? This is a very important point. So the f one of the first step, important step is to realize how is it actually that things appear to me, particularly myself? How is it actually? <coughs> what is happening, for example, when I become defensive? when I become reactive? How do, how do I 
actually feel that I exist. So this is this feeling of how you you exist. So the appearance that is called the object of negation, the object of refutation. And in the meditation on selflessness, starting with yourself, this is an important step to get a sense of. When I am reactive, when I defend myself, how do I, what is it what I, what I defend there? How does it feel? Where is that? So you look for that which is being negated, that which is being refuted, or that which does not exist, that which is merely made up. So after the break, I will um, guide you into a meditation where the first step is exactly that. And, and the way it's being done is that I will invite you into uh, to imagine or to remember a situation where you were reactive. And probably you don't need to go far away. I, I mean, it was maybe on the way here where it was particularly strong. I mean, the sense of separateness of I is, or is also here now. Like, you have a sense of that somehow you are sitting somewhere maybe behind your eyes or within your body and you look out <coughs> upon a world which is separate out there. Yeah? So there is a sense of, of that kind of yeah, I'm here and I'm looking out into a world which exists independently out there. But it's not so strong. Yeah, it's not, it's not so strong. So in order to get a better sense of what is being meant with the object of refutation, uh, we will remember moments where, for example, where we are criticized. You know, where, where there is a feeling of, wow, wow, how dare you to say this to me, me. So, this me, how dare you to, how dare you, like really the separate you, how dare you to say this to me, me. So, how, where, what is it what I'm referring to when I say me? Or, uh, no, you're accused and you haven't done it, you know. I didn't do this, I, I, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. So I. Yeah, so where do I, what is it? No, what is the reference object of this I? And in, the, in this meditation, we look into it. So what is it actually when I say I? I didn't do it. It's also uh, part of that reflection could be mm, there is a sense in us, for example, you know, we say, we, we are able to say, wow, I wish I would have a more younger body. No, I, I wish I would have a younger body. I, I, I wish I, I would be, I would have a body without pain. So th that I, that owner of the body, no, the rider, the rider in the horse of the body. What, what is that? It definitely, it seems like that. It, when we say, 
And it's not just uh, like we say it. It's a feeling <coughs> of that I, that I somehow possess the body. I'm the owner of the body. So that I. Or we have a feeling of uh, that um, you know, the person 10 years ago who, got, who went through this crisis, the I, is the same person sitting here. So there is a feeling of that an I, a solid independent I, is jumping from one moment to the next. Like, I got up in the morning, I went here, I sat, uh, sat on, the, on, the, on the chair. So, and there is a sense of a permanent kind of center, uh, like a central position. Yeah, a central position which remains the same. And so this kind of central position, which springs uh, more, which springs forward when we get criticized, when we when we are reactive. So that's the first step. <coughs> and then. In the second part of the meditation, we will look for that I, we will look for that me. And we look in two places, uh, we look in the body and we look in the mind. So this I, which feels threatened, this I, which feels criticized, if it exists, when we search for it in the body and mind, we should find it. It should become more clear. It should be become more. It should be become more like, yeah, ah, this is it. This is the I. This is the me. So, in the second part, I will invite you to a kind of a little journey through the body. So, looking for the for this I, for that me, which is defensive. And then we will look for. Uh, then we look for that I in the mind. Yeah? So in the feelings, in the memories, in the different mental capacities we have. So we look within this process of life as it is, the, this experience we have, you look for that central position. <clears throat> and it is important to do these steps and actually look for that central position. Of course, we already kind of intellectually know I'm not going to find anything, yeah? Because there is no central position here, except the one you make up. Uh, but it's important to, uh, to go through these steps so that when after the search you don't find that central position, there is a moment of, wow, Wow, it's made up. What I'm defending here is something I make up. What I want to make happy here is something I, I, I can't find. It's, I, 
I'm worry about I, I worry about something, I try to defend something, which when I'm looking for it, I can't find. So this is an this is important that we go through this kind of reflection again and again to really undermine uh, that identification with a central position, a central position which we then protect, which we worry about, which we defend. <clears throat> 